Welcome to Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame Radio, where legends live. Welcome to the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame podcast, where legends live. Uh, my name is Steve Talent, and I'm your host today. Um, we are starting the countdown to our class of 2019 induction ceremony. And I am joined today uh, by somebody who I can just give you a number, and you're going to know who it is. So today I'm joined by five. The one, the only, Donovan McNabb. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's interesting. You know, that is the number that kind of defines me, refers to who I am, and uh, people kind of can, I guess, sort of relate to the number and, and the years I spent uh, in Philadelphia, and really just all of my career. Um, and, you know, the number was presented to me in college when I asked for number one. There was a, a junior at the time who was wearing number one. He wasn't coming off off it. Um, I asked for 12, uh, which Randall wore that number. Right. Um, and that was given to someone else. Uh, I asked for seven for John Elway, and that was given to someone else. So five was given to me, and it has actually uh, some deep history uh, when it was given to me because Marvin Graves wore it at Syracuse. Right. Uh, and I was just two years removed from when Marvin uh, left. And they gave it to me. I mean, the remarkable career he had at Syracuse. And uh, you being from Syracuse, you obviously know about That's that. That's right. Absolutely. Um, and it was one in which I kind of took on a role. And Marvin and I still talk to this day. Um, took on a role of, of wearing a number and representing the right way. And, uh, and once I got here after my f- rookie year, that was the name and number, I guess, that they referred to me as five. And, and will never be worn again by a Philadelphia Eagle. That is something special. You know, you being a Chicago kid and to see 23 rise in the rafters and know that no one will ever wear 23. And then also being retired in Miami with the heat. Uh, now to have that done here for me at, in uh, Philadelphia is something special. That's awesome. Let me, let me just set the stage for some of our, if you can believe this, some of our younger listeners. Mm-hmm. who. Oh, wait a minute. I'm young too now. Y- you are young. Kind of. But you're in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> so you've been out of the game. <laughs> yeah, I'm old. Time. Yeah. So let me just refresh. Let's, let's refresh people's memories okay. here. I'm just going to throw a couple things out there. Six Pro Bowls. Mm-hmm. First in Eagles passing yards. Mm-hmm. First in Eagles touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. First in games played at quarterback. Um, without a doubt, and I, I, you know, there's debate, as you know, that there's sports radio talk shows here are crazy. Yes, I do. But I don't think that anyone would say anything other than you are the greatest quarterback in franchise history, which is kind of cool. And that's why you're going in first ballot inductee this year into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. Truly special. Um, you know, as a quarterback, obviously you need the pieces around you in order to be successful. And um, I've been blessed to have a great offensive lineman. Uh, a running game with Deuce Daly, Brian Mitchell, uh, Brian Westbrook. Um, we also, you know, brought in Dorsey Levins, yep. Corral Buckholzer, um, Leonard Weaver, um, guys who could tote the ball, not only that, but also can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, and then being blessed with 
wide receivers and tight ends uh, who will not only be able to make great catches but yards after the catch. Right. Um, and as a quarterback, that's kind of how you are defined, sort of speak, of, of by your numbers and your winning percentage. Um, and I was able to put up great numbers because of those guys. And uh, We were able to do something special over a decade here in Philadelphia uh, where there were some down years before. Um, you know, we kind of got started. Andy having his first head coaching job, me being drafted um, that early and, and you know, kind of relied on to, to kind of carry the torch. And, you know, he just continued to build and, and we continued to play together in which good things happened. Absolutely. So let's take a step back. All right. You mentioned you're from Chicago, mm-hmm. born and bred Chicago. So you had incredible football there in mm-hmm. the mid-'80s with yes. Ditka, Sweetness, McMahon, The Fridge, Singletary. So what was your childhood view on pro football? You know what? I grew up wanting to play basketball. I wanted to be in the NBA. And watching, well, let me bring the story back because my mom would not let me play football. Uh, And fortunately, I had an older brother who was four years older than me. So he went through, uh, I guess, the torture of mom saying no every year until his seventh grade year. And she allowed him to play football because our football coach was our baseball coach as well so he continued to stay on my mom and you know just bag 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 and once he was allowed to play and he played in high school um, I thought it was a shoe in for me well I went through that same process again till seventh grade um, and then she finally allowed me to play well even while I was playing professionally or in college she kind of treated me like I was a little kid playing Pop Warner. You know, it was <laughs> either I didn't dress appropriately or I walk out on the field, I didn't run enough or, you know, whatever it may be. But um, it was one in which growing up, Walter Payton was my favorite player. Um, not that I wanted to be a running back because uh, I played in seventh grade but not eighth. But I just thought he carried the whole weight of Chicago on his shoulders and he did it the right way. Right. And in basketball, we had Michael Jordan. In football, we had Walter Payton. Yep. And those two, I thought, really defined what Chicago players and Chicago athletes were all about and what we wanted to accomplish. Yeah, and, and I think that there's a certain parallel between Chicago toughness and Philly toughness and right. what the fans appreciate. Yes. And by the way, you stole one of my questions. Uh-oh. So one of my questions was, what's your real first love, football <laughs> or basketball? I think you answered that. Well, basketball basketball is a little bit more individualized sport where it's mano a mano, so to speak. So, um, so I, talking about mano a mano, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you, you went to Syracuse Broadcasting School, Newhouse. Right, right. It's right in you because my question is, who wins in one-on-one, you or B. West? In what sport? Basketball. I mean, that's not a question. Okay. That's not a question. He, says, uh, he's a, he see, says he's a baller. See, well, no, Brian can't play. Brian can't play. Um, and the thing about it is we had some good athletes on our football team who played high school basketball. Um, Brian may not have been as tall as I was, and I'm not sliding him by <laughs> any, any way. But I will say this. Brian brought the football aspect to basketball. Right. And that's something that you see a lot of football players doing. Now, basketball players can't do that because they can't bring – the finesse game to football because you know we like to get physical and so for brian he could shoot it from the outside he could penetrate but he had great vision on the, on the floor absolutely and it sort of um goes to how you were walk on uh for syracuse basketball mm-hmm. and did you sort of have to give that up because you realized that you were going to become a professional football player there was a little 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 more going into it but yeah it was understanding where the football aspect could go um, you know, I played basketball for three and a half years, um, played with some great guys, um, went to the national championship game, lost to Kentucky. 
Um, then the next year we played in the NIT against Florida State uh, and lost that, that game. And that's when I finally realized that, you know what, I need to probably need to just focus in on football. Um, because that's when conversations started about where I possibly could be drafted right. um, and what could end up happening if I made the decision to leave early. Um, and I almost left after my junior year. I decided to come back in, in my senior year, and I thought it was the best decision possible. Okay. That makes a whole heck of a lot of sense with hindsight being twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And in that national championship game, you played against your high school yes. teammate, Antoine Walker, correct? Yes, yes. and it, it, it's, it was special because – you know, when we were in high school, you could just see Rick Pitino sitting in the stands, and, and we all knew he wasn't coming to watch us. You know, he was <laughs> watching Antoine uh, and talking to Rick Pitino at that particular time while the recruiting process was going on. Uh, it was something that he brought to my attention, too. Of, you know, you really need to think about playing both sports. Um, and I told him where I was thinking about going, Nebraska, Syracuse, at that particular time with my, my final two. And he said, Jim Beheim would love to have you on his team. I mean, because you bring toughness, you bring athleticism, you can shoot it from the outside, uh, you can play the one or two. And, you know, right. hearing it from right. Rick Pitino, you know, it's just like, that means wow. Something. Like, okay, well, how come I can't come to Kentucky? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, And just to watch his, his progress over his first couple years at Syracuse, I mean, at Kentucky, Kentucky, and to play him in that national championship game, even though that I wanted to win, but knowing that that was his last game in college and he decided to go into the lottery and was drafted by the Boston Celtics. And had a pretty darn good career. I would say so, yes. So let's fast forward after playing every and starting, not just playing, but starting every single game Mm -hmm. in your college career Mm -hmm. after redshirting. 1999 NFL draft. Yes. Number two selection, which is awesome, Mm -hmm. right? In In what was considered to be a really deep quarterback draft. Quarterback draft. Yes. But what's interesting, so you're new in Philly, and Andy Reid made you the linchpin to his plan right. moving forward. Right. Can you talk a little bit about Andy and kind of how you progressed together throughout your tenure with the Eagles? The mastermind that I believe is still underrated of the things that he was able to do here in Philadelphia. Uh, many people may step back and wonder what I mean by that. Well, let me explain. Um, a guy that came in with a plan. Um, seeing how things kind of uh, was regulated and created in Green Bay uh, brought a little bit of that plan and a little bit more spice from his point of view. Building from within, meaning uh, during the draft, he obviously drafted me early. Uh, We drafted a a wide receiver. We drafted um, a linebacker in Barry Garner, um, offensive lineman. And from that point on, from 1999, we had already had Jeremiah Trotter here, yep. Brian Dawkins was here, Troy Vincent was here, Brian, Bobby Taylor was here. Um, you know, so we had skill position pieces on the defensive end, but he understood we needed to provide some offensive firepower in order for us to elevate as a team. Right. Um, every year, I would always beg for a wide receiver or, or I need some help on offense, and he's like, hey, look, I know what you bring to the table. Just relax and have confidence in me that I will be able to get you where you want to go. And I told him, you know, of course. And he would draft the fat guys. (laughs) And I would always pick up a phone during the draft, and I'm like, hey, another one? And he's like, hey, look, it's better for you to be upright than down on the ground because now that allows you to play your game. Exactly. And so, you know, after the third year, it's just like – I get it. You know, we go offensive line, we go defensive line. He's going to get to the quarterback, and he's going to allow me to to be upright. We made some trades, and and John Runyon came in. 
Big uh, John. With, with Trey Thomas on, on our bookends. We drafted Sean Andrews at the guard position. Uh, you know, we had, you know, Bubba at the, at the center position at the beginning, and then Jamal Jackson and, and Hank Fraley, Honeybun, stepped in in the middle. And, you know, John Wellborn was a guy who came out of my draft. But it was one in which he continued to build from within – which made us the type of team that we were over a decade. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, and obviously that trajectory led to very few losing seasons, most winning seasons. And you mentioned, by the way, uh, a little plug for the event, mm-hmm. a fellow inductee in this year's class, which is Troy Vincent, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, so you start your Eagles career in 99 right. playing backup for none other than Doug Peterson. Right. And – He's he's kind of a cerebral kind of guy. Mm-hmm. What did you kind of you were only with him for a season? Yeah. What I mean, what did you take from kind of his approach? Because you know he was one of those Green Bay guys. Yeah. So he knew Andy's system already, right? But you know what? The thing about Doug is, and and people have have to understand that when they hear the term backup, they automatically think not going to touch the field, just filling in for the starting quarterback. And then when you're not only filling in for the starting quarterback. You're the backup to the Iron Man, the guy who never gets hurt, right? who never misses a game. But what Doug was, Doug became a coach on the field for Brett. So, you know, as a starting quarterback, sometimes you get tired of hearing the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and he's kind of like blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, you and the other quarterbacks go over to the side and just discuss what they're seeing. Discuss the next approach. Discuss, discuss who we should be getting the ball to or – kind of as a term we use who's the who's the guy the diamond girl we sort of speak um who's the corner that we need to go after or that linebacker or this defensive lineman who we can double team and just run right through um those are the things that i think doug and brett built that relationship with and then he also was kind of the blanket for me because in my first couple of years all i kept hearing about was brett 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 brett, brett right. would do this brett would do this right and I, you know after a while i'm like first of all i'm not brett Secondly, I don't want to be Brett. I want to be better than Brett. Exactly. And so Doug would always be kind of the buffer where he's like, hey, look, Brett never did that. <laughs> or he's like, don't let him tell you Brett didn't do that. But he would always explain things to me where it became easier for me to understand. Uh, and that's exactly what he's doing for the progress now for the Nick Foles, for the Carson Wentz, uh, a lot of these young guys that they have where the offense becomes to be simplified where now they can just go out and play. Well, you say simplified, which is interesting, but Doug, in our m- most recent play history, mm-hmm. designed Philly Philly or the Philly Special. Mm-hmm. But you were involved with 4th and 26. Right. So can you talk about you know, getting that ball to Fred X and kind of how that whole thing, because it got us to a big playoff win. It did. It did, and it was against Green Bay. Yep. Um, but, you know, it was one in which that game was kind of going back and forth. If it was mistakes or turnovers or if it was – a long drive that you thought it would change the course of the game, then Brett would come back and do something remarkable as well. But it was a play in which, you know, you just want to give your receivers a chance. And, you know, they played his own defense, which I didn't understand why. They just kind of sat back at the marker. Nor did the commentators, if you ever go back and watch exactly. the, uh, the highlights. And, and, you know, their middle linebacker at that particular time, I was able to look him off, which bought time for Freddie to catch that ball freely. And the backside safety wasn't able to come over quick. And so now – we ended up getting the first down, which propelled us momentum-wise to continue on with what we were doing and end up getting the ball in the end zone. But um, that was one of the plays I think would be more historic going forward, you know, for the future of the program because 
that's something that would defines our decade of kind of how we were able to overcome adversity. And in that decade, you went to an astonishing five NFC championship games, mm-hmm. three of them here, yes. right? And obviously in 2005, you won the big one right. here to go to the Super Bowl. Um, I don't think that people not from here can understand what it means to win something like that in Philadelphia. Can you just sort of talk about the, what that was like? Well, you know, knowing that we had been there a couple of times already, um, you know, you were just trying to figure out what we needed to get over the hump. And when we brought T.O. in, things kind of changed um, confidence-wise for a lot of different guys. And um, I thought not only offensively, there was more of a challenge defensively from what we did to the defense, right. you know, from training camp or mini camps, you know, all the way through the season where we were pushing each other. You know, there were times on the sideline where I'm standing there and I'm I'm kind of motivating Jim Johnson, our defensive coordinator, like, hey, you know, we need to blitz more. And he's like, shut up. And he's, <laughs> then he ended up blitzing. He's like, you like that? And I'm like, yeah, they're blitzing me, blitz them. And then he would do the same thing while we were on offense. You know, obviously he would yell at me a lot of times. He'd be like, you need to just run. And I'm like, we'll be okay. But, um, you know, it was a lot of fun that year. And it was something different that we haven't had in the previous years of getting so close. Right. Um, and obviously, T.O. got hurt that year. But the still confidence was still there in a lot of guys. And we just felt like there was no no reason or no no way we were losing that game. Right. Um, and it was a tough battle. It was cold that day. We felt hot. Uh, we went out against Atlanta, and we played the way we were supposed to do. Exactly. And just to remind the listeners, Donovan played 11 years in Philadelphia. Yes. Five of those years, almost half, you went to the NFC Championship game, yes. the pinnacle of the conference. So just to remind people of that, <laughs> nobody has, nobody ever did that before. Nobody's done that since. Uh, you know, yeah. it's 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 you know one of those things that I think uh, personifies your career because I believe if I did my math right, you played in a, an entirely uh, a twelfth season of playoff games mm-hmm. as an Eagle. Yes. Um, so I, I think that's a testament to your greatness. So Thank just you. sort of wrapping up, mm-hmm. um, any final thoughts on joining the lights of Chuck Bednarik? Reggie White, Allen Iverson, Wilt Chamberlain, and so many others in the pantheon of Philadelphia sports that are in the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. You know what? Uh, you, you bring up, you know, guys that growing up I watched. And, you know, when I was first drafted, Chuck Benerick was one of the first guys that I see in the training camp. Um, and he would gladly tell you about the history of, of, of the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, but, to, but to talk about, you know, guys like AI who, you know, there were Sundays where he would come to the games and then we would end up being with each other uh, that night and just kind of laughing and joking because he played football. Uh, he was an All-American as well in both sports and, and one in which, you know, he really knew the game. And we would just talk basketball. We would talk football. Um, you know, and you talk about Troy Vincent going in as well. Uh, Troy and I sat down at our lockers and we would discuss different things that, about life. Um, and that's when you learn more about away from the game and, and your game plan when things were done. What were you going to do when things are, are over? Um, and we would discuss things like that. And um, But to be mentioned with those guys who are great, not only great here in Philadelphia, but great in their overall sports, it says a lot about the determination that they had. It also says a lot about the preparation that they put forth. Uh, but most importantly, it was what they brought to their given teams and how he would, they were able to uplift them to be not only great players, but to be elite people, you know, to the exactly. point where you can rely on them 
on and off the court. So agreed. So agreed. So uh, just to wrap, we look forward to seeing you back here in Philadelphia on Thursday, November 7th at the Sugar House Casino mm-hmm. Event Center. It's going to be a great night. You're going to have a lot of fun. It. I'm going to have a lot of fun. Yes. It's not going to be as hot as the equator uh, <laughs> on, on that day uh, as it is today here yeah. in Philadelphia. So, Donovan, it's, a, it's, it's been a pleasure talking with you uh, here on the podcast. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thank you for having me. I look forward to it. Really do. Awesome. Thanks Thank again. You. Thank you. Thank you.